Well, welcome to the Turn Row podcast. Today with us, we have uh, Betel Alvarez, who is an agronomist in Ulysses, Kansas. And we have our, ho our host today is myself, uh, Kevin Hecht. And along with us, we have John Gibson. Howdy. And Ethan Diver is out and will not be with us today. Um, Beto, will you give a brief introduction to yourself, well, to the listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Beto Alvarez. Uh, I'm an agronomist for CropQuest. I work at the Ulysses Kansas Division, as Kevin said. Uh, a little bit about my, about my background. I grew up in a coffee and cattle farm in Honduras. After I got done with high school, I had the opportunity to go into Kansas State University. While in Kansas State University, I had the opportunity to, to intern with CropQuest two summers and I fell in love with what CropQuest did, and um, after I graduated college, I decided I wanted to work for CropQuest, and I had the opportunity of getting a job at the Ulysses Kansas Division, and I've been a full-time agronomist ever since then. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit about, about my background. So what you're saying is we couldn't run you off. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> you were stuck with me. I was going to end up with CropQuest one way or another. <laughs> uh. Well, we, we, uh, in another episode, we had Beto on and we talked about coffee production and we thought we'd have him on again. And we talk about agricultural agriculture in general. And so um, let's just start with uh, your own maybe brief, more of an introduction on your personal farm where you came okay. in Honduras and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. So in another podcast, we were talking about coffee production. Um, my family owns a, a coffee farm. I mean, I would say it's a medium size. And, um, it's, coffee is very intensive. Uh, it takes a lot of intensive work. So you don't, you cannot, I guess, have a big production. You can't have a lot of acres just because of that. You have to make sure you take well care of, or take good care of your acres. Also, we own another farm where we raise cattle for, uh, a meat plant and between those two I mean it's been a very good farm I mean we have we have our ups and downs but we kind of figured you know uh, when cattle markets are low coffee usually kind of subsidizes our farm but we're getting to the point where we're leaning more towards cattle production not only coffee because coffee is a worldwide grown crop and there's been a lot more supply with better uh, varieties and better innovations where there's a lot more supply of coffee and um, prices have gone down quite a bit so so Beto let's take a, a step back if you would call it an average the average size of a farm in in your area what would it be depends uh, depends what kind of farming you're doing if it's coffee we're talking about a regular farm would be from anything from three to 10 acres. Okay. I mean, once you're talking more of a variety of crops and maybe cattle, you're talking more of 500 to a thousand acres. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then uh, my next question will be, let's talk about the crops grown in, in your, in your region area or maybe even broader in, yeah. in your country. Okay, well, back in Honduras, there's uh, a lot of sugarcane production. 
um, mostly on the north side of Honduras, more towards the coast. There's some very big sugarcane plantations where a lot of that, that sugarcane is going to sugar. And some of it gets exported, some is sold locally in Honduras. After sugarcane, I think coffee is one of the biggest uh, crops we have or that produce the most money. I, I think Honduras is the number one coffee producer in Central America. In Latin, Latin America, it's the third after Brazil and Colombia. And I think worldwide, we're the sixth. So coffee wow. is a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, after that, we grow a lot of corn. I mean, tortillas is one of our staples. And so we use a lot of corn for food. We also grow a lot of beans. There's some sorghum that's grown in uh, more arid areas of the country, which is not much. But yeah, those are some of our main crops. What kind we of also, beans? sorry. When you say beans, what kind of beans are we talking about? Um, we're, we're talking about red beans. Okay. Um, and yeah, we eat a lot of red beans, which, I mean, I don't think you see much of those here, but mm -hmm. they're more of a reddish color and is also part of our staples. I mean, some of the other crops we've had, and I mean, these all fall into agriculture, I guess I never thought about is, we also have a lot of shrimp production and we also have a lot of tilapia production. So a lot of those tilapias you get here come from Central America, most of the time Honduras. Um, bananas are a big production as well in Honduras, as well as uh, avocados. Um, Chiquita Banana had its uh, headquarters in Honduras for a long time and they still produce or grow a lot of bananas in Honduras that get imported to the United States. So yeah, we have a variety of crops that we grow in Honduras and a lot of it gets exported. Do you guys imported. grow any rice at all? We do have rice. Uh, I won't say it's one of our top production crops in Honduras, but we do have some rice. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And rice has been quite a bit of struggle because you know you have to terrace and you have to flood and a lot of our production ground is not in the flattest parts of the country too. So that's been a struggle too, you know. A lot of these crops are grown where on mount, or mountain sides and I mean, it, it's, it's a struggle, but I guess some of the things that helps us is that we have cooler weather, we have a lot more precipitation and our elevation varies where we can grow different types of crops. So you, you would say, generally speaking, a lot of your farm ground is more in the mountainous regions rather than, you know, I guess here in Kansas or in the U.S., it's more, you know, in the flatter part. Yes. You know, um, areas or. I would say, I don't know, 40% is on flat areas and 60% is in mountainous, mountainous areas just because the, the topography of our country and you know, we don't have much for flat areas. When you were talking about the tilapia or the shrimp, um, are those raised like on a farm or are they just caught out in the open water? They're farm raised. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And usually the tilapia and those shrimps are grown in the south part of the country where it's warmer and weather is a little bit hotter so they or reproduce and they grow a lot faster than some other areas like in our farm where it's a lot cooler. What about let's talk about weather um, and generally speaking across the country so our listeners can get an idea of you know our yeah. climate and, and what we're talking about. Yeah so just for a little bit just for an idea Honduras is half the size of Kansas 
So we're talking about a lot smaller country and we have a lot of microclimates. I mean, we have more of a tropical um, climate. If you go East Honduras or there's little areas in the mountains where you have more of that tropical climate, we'll have more of a temperate climate where I grew up in the city. And then you go South, you have more of an arid kind of desert like climate. So small country, but there's a lot of variability. And I think another issue with that is elevation also affects climate. And, you know, the higher you go in altitude, you're going to get more rain. So it, it's just, there's a lot of differences in the small area. Now, this is going to be a really hard question, and you may not have an answer for it, but what percentage um, of the country is involved in agriculture? Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad I know that answer for that one, because <laughs> um, I would say 67%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But we're, we're talking about... Uh, land use i mean when we're talking about pop yeah like you said population i would think maybe 50 to 60 percent so okay no. yeah um a lot of people that you know you have your people who live in the city which you know you if you live in the city you'll get a job in the city but a lot of people that live out of t live outside of town the way of making a living is uh agriculture so you might so, uh we might dive in I guess, and, and talk about the differences a little bit um, about um, how it's more, maybe more mechanized here in the States versus how you guys do things. Yeah. Um, so back in Honduras, I mean, and I'll tell you from my experience and then I'm going to go back a little bit more general growing up i mean everyone everything was hand labor i mean everything we had to manually do it i mean um we have a, a, a agricultural university that's more focused on research and innovation but we're still having trouble trying to get all of that good information back to the people that needed um, government we're lacking in the government where uh they're not doing they're not giving grants or any money out for people to you know, go out and innovate and do research and help others just figure out better ways of farming. So growing up, I mean, it wasn't uncommon to see me, see a ox or a pair of oxen with a plow, you know, that's, that's the tractors we had. Wow. And I mean, little by little, there's been more, there's been more and more push and we're seeing more tractors. We're seeing more innovation, but I would say we're still behind and we're lacking a lot of that that you guys have here. So when I came here, it was a culture shock when, you know, every every tractor had a cab and, you know, you had GPS and you had precision ag and yeah, it's overwhelming all the things you can do. But I think, you know, knowing what I know now being here, I mean, there's a lot that we could implement and a lot of things we could use here that we can use, uh, we could use in Honduras. So it's just a matter of that does make some more sense when you say 50% or roughly, you mm -hmm. know, of population is involved in agriculture. If it's that, if it's not mechanized, then you have to have that, you know, that labor force to, yeah. to get it all taken care of and to bring everything to market. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a challenge. I think sooner and later we're going to eventually catch up, but it's, it's, it's a big challenge. So you briefly mentioned about, you know, we talked, you talked about uh, universities um, providing information or um, innovation 
what do you guys do in lieu of fertility and, and some of that kind of stuff that's more common practice here, you know, for yeah. your crops or, or maybe even for your livestock? Yeah. You know, um, that's a good question. And I guess I'll try to explain as best as I can. Um, going back to the very, I mean, to the very beginning of things, we have really good soils in some areas. I mean, it varies a lot. We have mollusols, we have insecticides, we have some of those newer soils. And I think some of these soils haven't been farmed long, so we haven't had issues with fertility. I mean, we've had pretty good fertility. Our soils are a lot more acidic though, because of rain and weathering. Right. Uh, so that's been a challenge. But I think little by little, now that people or farmers are growing crops like coffee and some of those varieties don't have, you know, they vary in what they want for fertility or they're growing crops over and over in the same ground. They're starting to notice that there's a problem with fertility. And the trouble is a lot of the people that farm sometimes in villages, they don't get, they don't get exposed to all this information they can get. I mean, a lot of these villages don't have electricity and they don't have internet. So they cannot just go online and figure out, you know, okay, what, where do I need to be fertility wise? So it's been a challenge trying to, you know, people to realize that, okay, we need to start soil sampling. We need to do, you know, some other things in order to get back our fertility where it's at. I think some of the smaller agriculture, agricultural universities we have, I think they're, you know, they reach out to a certain extent of people, but we need a bigger extent where most people that are in remote places can get information about fertility and all that. And I think another thing is little by little, we start getting better fertilizers. We import better fertilizers. I mean, from China, from Brazil, which are cheaper. And I think people get, once they get the hand into them and we know that they can afford them, I think we can improve our fertility there as well. Yeah, so, that was gonna be my next question was how available were, were fertilizers if they if they did know what, what they needed? Yeah, yeah. And the trouble is, you know, here you can go to co-op or you can go to some of these bigger companies and you know you go and buy fertilizer over there you have to go to the store and sometimes those stores are two or three hours away from where they you know some of these farmers live and um it, it you know just just to get the product itself it's a challenge so um but little by little you know there's better we've started getting better infrastructure we've um get we're getting more stores farmers are getting vehicles so that they can go places and that's helping a lot but that's they, happened in the last 20 years do they utilize the manure that they get off of their cows or their their personal livestock to fertilize like let's say coffee on a small basis where mm -hmm. it's you know not as um you know it's not 500 acres yeah. you know no actually not no um i guess you know, when, when they don't know the benefits of um, mm -hmm. the, the value of the nutrients in manure, I think, you know, in our farm, we're starting to implement little by little, but it took some of us to come here and see how things run in order to figure that one out. So, well, I mean, it's, it's a struggle, especially yeah. if, you know, if your margins are tight and you're not used to doing it and it's new, it's not an easy thing to step mm -hmm. into. 
I mean, yeah. we're, we're so used to it and, and we see the benefit of it, but if you don't see it, it's hard to adopt yeah. um, using it. Um, yeah. Another thing though, going back to that manure, um, a lot, a lot of our cattle is grass fed and grazes. I mean, we're, we're talking about, we don't confine cattle or it's not in pens. It's just out there in pastures. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to get a grasp. Oh, are you trying to say you have free range cows? Is that what you're trying to say? Most of them are, but I mean, we don't market <laughs> them like that. <laughs> Sorry. You have a whole new market you could. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. No, that's fine. And, and I mean, that's another whole topic, you know, how we can market our cattle mm -hmm. and get a little bit more profit out of it if we could market it right. But no, a lot of, you know, we just have, we have land, we have pasture, we have the right temperatures to do that. I mean, um, you know, when we're talking about, you know, a big farm over there, we're talking a, a thousand head of cattle. I mean, that's big, big, but you know, some of these smaller farms, you know, you're talking about 30 to 50. That's pretty good. So do, does your beef stay local then? Or, or do you export much? Yes, um, a lot of beef stays local just because of all the regulations. And I mean, we, we still have a demand back home in, in Honduras itself. So, I mean, I don't, for sure, meat, beef doesn't uh, get exported as much as other stuff that we raise or grow. So you mentioned regulations. What, what kind of regulations do farmers have to deal with there? If you're um, growing crops or raising um, cattle locally, you don't worry about too much about regulations. Just once you want to take the next step and export, then there's a lot more regulations, not only from our country, but you know, if it's getting export to the United States, I mean, you know how it works. I can't tell you what regulations because that's not my realm of knowledge, mm -hmm. but there's a lot more that you have to deal with, you know, especially with diseases and things that countries worry about when, you know, you ever you're importing um, mammals or, you know, crops. So, so um, let's take a step back, Beto, or I'd like to revisit a comment you made about villages and towns and uh, running water. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that's probably a insight for some that may not know much about Honduras, about your, your culture and where you, where you guys are at. You'd yeah. like to, expound on that a little bit yeah so um like i mentioned before honduras is very mountainous and there's maybe five big cities in honduras and i mean we're talking about where i grew up in tegucigalpa that's the capital there's maybe three million people and we're talking about uh, a country with i would say we're getting close to nine and a half million people by now so you know you're, you're talking about almost half of that population living in small towns and villages and when i'm talking about small towns and villages i'm talking about towns of a few hundred people to villages about you know 50 to 100 people so a lot of these towns and villages are remote where they don't have access to a lot of things that people that live close to the city have like electricity, running water, 
good roads, good infrastructure in general. So people that live in those smaller towns and villages, you know, they have a harder time when it comes to crop production just because, you know, they don't have the same, they have different challenges than other people. You know, that's amazing to think that in this day and age that we still have, you know, I mean, we know, but just to to think that there's people still out there without running water, you know, and Mm -hmm. and that kind of goes and and speaks a lot about the movement of um, information too. You know, if, Mm -hmm. if you're, um, I'm not, I don't mean to say this like in the past, but you know, like if, if you're, you don't have electricity and running water, you know, then, then how are you getting your information to, to, you know, to, to better your, your farm or, yeah. or, your, or whatever you're producing? Yeah. You know, it, it's been a challenge, but I think little by little, you know, now with having better cell phone reception and cell phones being cheaper and, you know, having more information out of it, I wouldn't be surprised that in the next 10 years, we're going to have a lot better uh, quality of farms, a lot better agriculture, a lot better infrastructure a lot better innovations just because of that but i think you know communication and technology is going to be a big player when it comes to that you know when when you go ahead john um following up with that you you mentioned earlier you know you on your family's farm they've kind of implemented a few things uh that you've learned here you know they've they've looked into it so what what are some of those things that you've shared with them uh, and kind of what, what, what's the direction that your family's taking? Um, Cause they kind of have a, an insight from you on, on where they could improve. Yeah. Uh, two things that come top of my head that I know I've, I've talked and we've discussed with my parents and I've been trying them to implement more and more is one is, okay, we need to set goals and we need to figure out how much yield we're making, where we need to be. So that way we can work and figure out what, where, where we need to be with fertility. Fertility has been, I mean, we've been lucky that the soils we've been growing coffee have been pretty good when it comes to fertility. But I mean, there's a good point where you're pulling all that fertility out and you have to replenish it. And we're getting to that point. So, I mean, one of the biggest things I've, I've been trying to get my parents to do a lot more, especially my dad is, you know, we need to sample, we need to figure out, we need to tissue sample, we need to soil sample, figure out where fertility is, what we need to work on. You know, we need to, especially when you're talking with a perennial crop like coffee, you know, um, you need to make sure you keep the levels at an adequate level so that when, when that coffee starts flowering and it starts producing coffee, I mean, you need to make sure you have everything for it to produce what it, the maximum yield possible. So. Fertility has been one of the major factors that I've learned here that, I mean, I've been trying to work more and more, not only with my parents in our farm, but people around us, let them understand like what the importance is. Another, another thing that maybe doesn't go, well, it goes to what we do and a lot of, and I mean, it's, it's another area where you can spend a lot of time and, you know, you need a lot more expertise. Um, It's just learning how to budget, how to, we do some of that here, but you know, just teach them how to budget, know that, okay, if we're making so much money per acre, but we're putting so much, I mean, we're not making a benefit, uh, we're not making any revenue out of it, you know, we're losing money, and um, if you know what you're putting in, how much you're losing, it makes you make a decision, okay, are we actually 
we actually need to do something else in order to make money. So I think those are the two things, just budgeting and fertility have been some of the biggest things I learned here that I've taken back home and helped my parents kind of try to work with them to understand and implement in our farm. So, so when you come home and you say, dad, we're, we need to do this. <laughs> Did you guys butt heads? <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, we've had, and I think it's more, more of a cultural thing as well. Cause over there you don't, you don't discuss or you don't argue things with your elders. <laughs> For sure. So, right. When he started hearing me talk back to him and tell him, okay, well, you know, you're, you may be right, but we need to do this this way because, you know, we can improve. I, I think that was a shock to him. Yeah. Well, that's funny, though, because I would say that that argument or that conversation is one of the leading arguments uh, in our, well, probably producers across the whole world, entire world, was, you know, young guys with um, ideas and then fathers can or maybe be a little stubborn and say no yeah. we're not doing that so well and it's a cultural change well and it's a, a generation change as well because we have access to every answer for every question mm -hmm. you know in the palm of our hand and when you relied on your parents for their knowledge because they experienced it or lived it and now you can go around and you know find it yourself i mean i think they kind of feel bad in a way because you know they know that you know now it's i don't think I know it's still important for their knowledge and whatever, but you know, we can figure out somewhere else. So it's pretty crazy. The advent of internet or maybe even Google the common, the common joke is, did you Google it? You know, and we have yeah. access to all that information. Just at a, yeah. a snap of your fingers. Well, or so. sometimes we're fact check checking, you know, someone was no going to Google and trying to figure out if it's true. So no doubt. Well, and th there's other problems to that cause it's not always right, but sometimes it's yeah. right enough. Um, before I forget something that's interesting that, you know, we, we're getting so used to here and I don't, haven't seen it in Honduras and I wish there was more about it. And hopefully someone that works with, uh, some of these companies would do something about it is, you know, here's so easy to go to a, a company seed meeting or chemical meeting, you know, and so easy to get information from them. You know, they have all kinds of booklets and all kinds of research. And, you know, you have reps that will come and talk to you if you have a question or go to the farm. We, we don't have that kind of involvement back in Honduras. And I think, um, I think a lot of farmers would benefit if we had more companies going out there and, or even, you know, research or, or universities that do research, you know, going to towns and making, having a meeting and telling them like, okay, this is what's working. This is what we can do. This is, here's satellite imagery. This is what we can do with it. This is how it can benefit your farm. This is, you know, we, this is what, how you soil sample. This is what the fertility has to be. You know, this is how you read a, soil test result i think that's another step that we need to take that we need to improve a lot and hopefully in the next few years we're going to see a lot more of that just with technology and the way things work and you know um i think the more we innovate there's going to be more people trying to get involved and companies trying to be there and you know get a grasp of farmers and hopefully that's going to happen soon so that we can all progress and move forward you know, Beto, in your corn or sugarcane production, um, do they use pesticides or herbicides in, in, in that instance, or is it still all manual labor? 
they do uh some of these bigger farms you know they're they have tractors they have full sprayers i mean i mean some farms will hire people to use backpack sprayers and spray you know herbicides insecticides i know for sure we have more weed problems over there just because of the fact that weeds don't die in the in the fall or in oh, the for sure yeah yeah so you know your herbicide plans over there may be a little bit costly because you're overlapping more you than you always would. you always would have a host in that situation you know yeah yeah like whether it's an insect or you know you always have the right environment for weeds to grow yeah and yeah weeds and insects are pretty much the same way i mean you just have to keep over at the top of them and i mean they they never end and i bet like you know guys in the southwest texas or you know where wherever it doesn't get as cold over here they have more issues than mm -hmm. some of the guys over here where you know we're talking about the season ending in november till and starts over in march when things start greening up over there it never stops so that's interesting it's an interesting way to to think about it you know where we're so used to it cooling off and getting cold yeah and shutting things down to where everybody has a break or yeah you know, and you know over there you can grow two crops a year if the weather's right because you you most of the time you get a lot of rain but you know you you have the growing degree days to grow two crops right, right. crops of corn two crops of beans mm -hmm. so yeah it's a it's a different world out there out there than than we know here well, it's interesting. It, it brings a lot of light and perspective into, you know, where we're at and where others are, you know. And and I suppose that's the whole point of bringing you on, too, is to get a different perspective to see how other people do things, you know, because it is yeah. different in every region or even across the world. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, well, that's what I got for you guys. I don't know if any, you, got any, you guys have any questions. John or Colt, do you have any questions? Anything you can think of? No, it's very interesting. Um, Beto, really appreciate all your insights into uh, Honduran agriculture. Yeah. Well, and I guess the best way to learn more is to go over there. So whenever you guys want to go. <laughs> Are you a part of the Chamber of Commerce over there or the... Church bureau or what? <laughs> no, I just like I just like my country, and I mean, there's a lot of beautiful things over there, and I mean, there's I I think you know, as much as I say we have challenges, I think there's things that you can learn from us, and we can learn from you. So, oh, for sure, for yeah. sure. Well, with that, thank you, Beto, um, for being on the Turn Row Podcast once again, and thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, Colt, will you give the shout out to our listeners on where they can get a hold of us on social media? Uh, yeah, if you're interested in getting in contact with us or have a question that you would like us to cover, um, you can email us at media at cropquest.com. Um, also, you can follow us on uh, Twitter and Facebook at CropQuest Inc. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening and see you guys later.